Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. Thank you, Daniel, for your ministry to us today. Worship team, you did a fantastic job. Thank you for leading us into God's presence this morning. I tell you, it's, it's awesome to just hear you sing, church. It really is. Just to hear you, you know, just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The greatest instrument you've, that has ever been invented is right there in your throat. Whether it stays on tune or not, it doesn't matter. He said, make a joyful noise. And he's given everybody that opportunity. So I just praise God. I want to share something real quick before we get there. You know, we have sometimes we'll have 20-second hallelujahs and we'll just give people the opportunity to testify. I'm just going to steal George's because uh, Brother George Lopez, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know something. I got a testimony. He said, last week or the week before, I don't know when it was last week, right? It was last week when he, when he said, when you prayed with me and we agreed in prayer together, he said, I spoke to my landlord, and George, correct me if I got it wrong. I spoke to my landlord about some things, and my landlord told me, he said, well, don't even worry about paying rent this month. It's just all taken care of. Praise God. So we can say hallelujah. Spike the ball. Call it a touchdown. Jesus has scored again. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. James chapter 1, I'm going to be continuing our series of of a series called Missing Pieces. And I started this about a month ago, but I want us to dig through the book of James. And I'm going to go back to a passage that we have already really kind of covered, but I kind of pulled out one verse particularly when I started this series, verse 4. But we're going to work through the rest of those verses uh, this week. So James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And I love this part, not lacking anything. In other words, no missing pieces. There is nothing in your life that lacks. You have all the pieces. Father, I pray that you would just take your word this morning. Lord, Let it minister to our hearts, not just, Lord, in hearing, but may we be, Lord, doers of your word, as James instructs us, Lord, to to take it in, Lord, and to to let it take root, Lord, so that we might trust your word and believe it and make us more complete and more mature. Lord, help us, Lord, to not lack anything in Jesus' name. You know, James wrote this letter for one reason, and that was to encourage early church believers, to encourage them and to develop them in spiritual maturity. How many of you know God does not want you to be at the same place you were the day that you got saved? He wants you to grow. Your goal as a believer is to continue to grow, to continue to become complete. You see, life is 10, is, is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you, how you respond to that 10%. That's really what life is. And so what James does is James wanted us or them to know, he wanted us to know something very important about the Christian walk. And that is that there should never be a season or a time in our life where we don't have the ability to us to respond appropriately in the middle of that season. 
We should be complete. We should be mature enough to handle whatever it is. We should never lack the ability to respond to life or to God or to others in the appropriate way. That's why he says in verse 4 that you should lack nothing. You should be spiritually mature, that you should be complete. In other words, I want you to see this. God is currently involved in a lifelong process in your life of finding and developing missing pieces. Let me repeat that. God is currently in the process of finding and developing all of the missing pieces right now in your Christian life. My question is, is what pieces are you missing? And that should be your question. Well, what pieces am I missing? Lord, am I missing love? Am I missing forgiveness? Am I missing peace? Is there no peace in my life? Lord, am I missing hope? Those intangible things. But also, there's tangible things. Am I missing health? Am I missing financial uh, provision? Am I missing the right type of relationship? God wants to meet those needs as well. You should not be lacking in those as well. Can someone say man? He wants to meet not only the intangibles, but the tangible things so that we can be complete. And so God deals with lack in our life through a process that we call the walk of faith. Everybody say that. Walk of faith. God deals with lack in your life by the process of, of, of the walk of faith. What did Abraham do? Abraham walked toward a city whose builder and maker was God by faith. Moses walked across a dry seabed that only moments ago was filled with the, with the Red Sea because he had faith. He had to walk across that seabed. David walked out onto a battlefield to face a giant that everybody was afraid of because he walked onto that battlefield with faith. Joshua walked in circles. Anybody ever walked in circles that felt like in your life? He walked in circles and shouted because it was a walk of faith. You see, God walks us through life through the process called the walk of faith. And as he's doing that, what he does is he finds all the missing pieces that you need to make you complete, to make you whole, to make you mature, and to make you exactly what he wants you to be. You see, every time that you put one foot down in front of the other in your life, you are taking a a measure of faith in that process, and you're saying, Lord, when my foot hits the ground, you're going to be there. And when my foot hits the ground here, you're going to be there. When I take this new job, Lord, you're going to be there. When I have to change this relationship, you're going to be there. When things happen in my life, you're going to be there. If I lose my job, if my health insurance goes away, Lord, you're going to be there. That is the process of faith where he equips us to become more mature. Sometimes we don't even see it coming because Paul said we live by faith and not by sight. Yeah, sometimes you don't even see God working in your life, but that does not mean he is not working. Never assume God's absence or God's or God your lack of vision for God's absence because he is always there at every step. He's working even though you can't see it. So the elimination of this lack in our life. And let's be honest, all of us lack things. You showed up to church this morning and there were some things that you're lacking. I hope the one thing that you don't lack is a relationship with Jesus because that's base number one. If you can't find that, if you're missing that, then you're missing the whole thing. But if you came here today not not knowing Jesus, you don't have to leave here today not knowing Jesus. That lack can be resolved this morning. 
There are other things that the Lord wants to remove from your, those things that, that you were lacking. And that process is the process of faith development. You see, here's what I want you to understand. Faith is the most important thing God wants to see and develop in your life. Faith is the most important thing. The most important thing that God wants to look at you and He wants to see faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is what? It's impossible to please God. doesn't matter how much you love. doesn't matter how, much, how happy you are, how joyful you are. doesn't matter how much you give. doesn't matter how your life is going. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything else, well, that comes second place. You see, God's more concerned about your faith than He is your physical health. God's more concerned about your faith than He is your financial well-being. God's more concerned about your faith in Him than your happiness or your success. Because what should happen when any of those things go and tilt into the negative, your faith should never waver. And that's what God is looking for. That your faith remains stable. He wants to confirm in us that our faith is complete and mature. That it is resolute. That it is unshakable. That your faith is non-negotiable. No matter what happens. When good things happen, your faith is there. And when bad things happen and you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, your faith is still there and God sees it and He is pleased. Faith is the most important thing God looks for and develops in your life. He wants you to just wake up every morning and He wants you to to live your life with the simple confidence that He is who He says He is and He always will be. He's a God who doesn't change. That He's done what He said that He's done. That Jesus has done the work for you. And that He will keep the promise that He has already made. The promises that He is going to take care of you, that He's going to watch over you, and that He's going to soon return for you. Those are the promises. That's what He wants. Just believe it. That is faith. That is your faith at work in your life. And that's what He wants to see. But unfortunately, the most, most often, the, the most opportune time to develop faith and to learn faith in our life, happens during trials. Now look at your neighbor and say, I don't like trials. Say, I don't like tough times. I like good times. Anybody in there with me? I don't like the tough times of life. If you like the tough times of life, you need to see the doctor. You need to see the you need to see the the uh, the doctor so he can give you some some medicine. You you need treatment. We have to react as followers of Jesus during difficult times because when we act the right way, our faith is our faith grows. So let me just give you three things I'm going to cover this morning. They're in your notes. There are three reactions to trials that turn our trials into triumphs. Number one, when we look to God who is above our trials when we search for joy in our trial, and when we ask God for wisdom through our trial. So those three things. Let me just jump into the first one. Faith looks to God above our trials. James chapter uh, 1, verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, 
he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Blessed man. Who wants to be blessed in this room? Hello, double hand on that. I want to be blessed. And then I know that if I, if I stay through the trial, if I make it through the trials and the troubles and the traumas of life, then God is going to reward me in the end and he is going to be there and he's going to do it for those who love him because my faith is going to prove that I do love you, Jesus. A young man came up to me one time after church and I had preached and uh, he, he said, Pastor, he said, I'm not sure about this faith life stuff. I said, oh, okay, really? He said, you know, I, I love the Lord. I gave my heart to the Lord sometime back. But he said, it just seems like that, that I have just as many problems and troubles in my life as, as I used to have. And I said, oh, really? And I said, well, you mean to, to, to tell me that when you came to Jesus, that you thought that you shouldn't have any more uh, financial troubles or health problems or you shouldn't have any more family problems or marriage problems or job problems. And he said, yeah, sure, Pastor. Isn't that what you preach? I said, well, I don't know what everybody else preaches, but I try to preach what the Bible preaches. You see, that young man has a problem that too many Christians today have. And, that they, and here's what they do. They confuse, they confuse heaven for earth. And when you confuse heaven for earth, it brings a lot of problems into your life. Because Christians think that since they know Jesus, that life is always supposed to be fair. You know, here's the thing. You should have known that life was not going to be fair on day one. Because when you were born, the first thing that happened to you is you got slapped. You got slapped. I mean, and God is telling you on the first day, and this shall be a sign unto you. Life is not going to be fair. I mean, think about it. Oh, it's a new baby. What should we do? Should we hug him? No, let's whack him. You get whacked. First day, first rattle out of the box, you get slapped. Life is not going to be fair. There is none of you who, if I looked at your birth certificate, there would be a stamped place underneath your name that says, life will be fair for this person. Not going to be there. Not going to be there because... What we understand is that this world can be a very inhospitable place for a Christian or a non-Christian. We live in a world that is not hospitable. So somebody asks, well, what's the difference if you know Jesus or not then? I mean, if the world's just going to be the world around us. Well, that makes all the difference in the world because Jesus is not of this world. Now you're going, you're going to preach with me today, aren't you? Good, good. We'll get out of here quick. 
Because when our faith looks to him who is above our problems, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6, Paul says, The God and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me tell you something. When you're in the middle of a trial, what what your faith needs to do is you need to reach out to the one who is the all in all. He is over it all. He's above it all. He surrounds it all. He'll take you through it all, through your trials and through your troubles and through your trauma and through your pain and through your problems. He is God and he is all over it. He's over the whole thing. John the Baptist said this about Jesus. He said, the one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. That's us. And speaks as one from the earth. That's us. But the one who comes from heaven, that's him, is above all. That's why you can put your faith in him in the middle of your trial. He's above it all. Hallelujah. He's your fourth man in the fire. He's always going to be there when it gets hot. He's the one who's going to be your roommate when you're sitting there laying with the lions in the den like Daniel. Come on, somebody. He's the one who's going to be right there in the boat as you look out and you're going to see him coming. He's the calmer of the storms who says, oh, fellas, watch this. Peace, be still. And it's over. That's our God. That's who he's the all in all. He's over it all. Hallelujah. He's my shield. He is my shelter. He is my fortress. He is my strength. He is my ever-present help in time of trouble. He is my strong tower. We sing a song that says he is the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. He's all in all. Yeah. That's a good amen moment because when your faith is in him that's above it all, I don't care what comes to your life. Trouble, trauma, pain, sickness. God, you got this in the bag. This is you. And I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid because, Lord, that you're, you're, you're over all of this. So in the midst of your earthly trials, your faith appeals to a higher authority. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Do not lose heart. He's talking to people who are going through trials and temptations and trouble. Outwardly, we are wasting away, but inwardly, We are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I've met a lot of Christians, too many, who live somewhat disappointed lives. Let me explain to you what disappointment is. Disappointment is the distance between ideal and ordeal. That's what this distance between ideal and ordeal is known as your disappointment quotient. Your level of disappointment. The level of disappointment in your life. Let me, let me give you an example of what disappointment can be. A young couple, oh, they just want to get married. I can just get married. It's going to be just like one of those Hallmark shows. I'm not even going to raise my hand to see who watches those Hallmark shows because some of you guys might raise your hands and I better not find that out. No, I'm just kidding. Daniel, did you just raise your hand? 
Yeah, sure. Oh, I'm just praising God over here. Okay. We're going to have to have a talk. Just like those, I mean, Christmas in July. You know, they've all got Christmas lights. Even if it's July, Christmas lights. It's Christmas in July. We're going to have a nice, cute little house and a cute little puppy dog that will never run away. And he never barks when he's not supposed to. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be ideal. If we can just get married, it's going to be wonderful. And, and every day will end with just us drinking uh, a nice glass of tea, watching the sun go down. We might even get to learn ice dancing together. What I've found is that when ideal, in marriages especially, when ideal becomes ordeal, people start looking for a new deal. Why? Because their disappointment quotient got too big. The distance was too far. And so they live with this disappointment. Well, well, God, I thought this was supposed to be good. I thought it was never supposed to happen this way. I thought that these things were always supposed to be supposed to be right. I, there was there's people who in this room who've had disappointments in marriage. Where were you, Lord? There's people in this room who've had disappointments in their job or in, in their in their careers or in their in their life. I mean, you're sitting here and you're 45 years old and you're thinking, you know what? I thought I'd be further along in life than this. There's people who have had disappointments. In relationships, disappointments in their spouse. You know, when we married 22 years ago, I just thought he would not be the same way he is now as he was then. I mean, I am disappointed in him. Disappointment quotient grows in our life. And when you start thinking about this ideal picture that is outside of heaven, you end with this constant disappointment. So what do you do? If you're disappointed with where you are in life, what do you do? Listen to Paul's words. You have to look above. It's Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You have to see the eternal side of everything in the Christian life. Did you hear me? You have to see the eternal side. I was visiting with a lady here in our church and I said, look, what has happened in your life is that the eternal has been already inserted into your life. If you know Jesus Christ, eternity lives within you. Let me say it again. If you know Jesus, eternity already resides in your life. You will never die, never be separated from Him because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Eternity resides in you. That eternity must never be lost. We must never lose perspective because disappointment and unmet expectations will cause you to just sink like a rock in a river during a time of trial. Here's the expectations that you should have during a trial. 
You should expect that God will be with you. You should expect that He will strengthen you. You you should expect that He will show you love and kindness. You should expect that He will give you peace. You should expect that He will deliver you. You should expect that He will heal you. Let me get a better amen. You should expect that He will heal you. When you look at James chapter 1, I want you to just understand this. God does not bring sickness upon anyone. God doesn't bring sickness into your life so that he can test your faith. That does not happen. James makes it clear. Because the word for trial and the word for temptation are exactly the same. And when we get to next week's message, you're going to see that understanding. But God does not bring sickness. Sickness comes to us in three ways. It comes because of the consequences of a fallen world. Number two, because of the attack of Satan. And number three, because of judgment for sin and disobedience. Those are the only ways. God doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to make them sick so they'll, they'll love me more and pray a little bit more. Because everybody knows when trials come, what do we do? We hit the altars. We start reading the Bible more. We start seeking God more. Oh, we start calling the pastor. We start blowing up his phone at midnight. We're in trouble. We got holes in the boat. Pastor, come bring your fingers so that you can plug the holes. When trials come, what we have to be reminded of, even in sickness, is that God is above it all. He doesn't bring these things upon us. So when a trial involving health, always remember that he is above all and that he is working for your good. So all you must do is continue to walk in faith. You walk in faith. Well, I've still got symptoms. I'm walking in faith. Well, my, my diabetic numbers keep kind of going wonky. I'm walking in faith. You just keep walking in faith. And what does he see? He sees, oh, my child, I'm pleased with you. And I'm developing your faith. And I'm working in you. I'm walking in my healing today. Shannon is walking in her healing today. Because it's the process. And the Lord's not saying, well, let me just take your temperature and check your vitals. That's not what he says. He says, let me see your faith today. When you visit the doctor's office in heaven, that's what he looks at. He doesn't pull out a a blood pressure cuff and stick a little thing on the side of your head. He says, I want to see this faith that I have so been pleased with. So that's what you do. Let me just give you some scriptures real quick to encourage expectation in God above. Matthew chapter 18, 19. I also tell you this, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Find you somebody, start praying. Guess what? He said, if two of you will agree on this, I'll do it. Just find somebody to agree with. John chapter 14, verse 13 says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. The prayer that you are praying over your trial and over your trouble and over your family and over your healing is going to bring glory to God. All you're doing is developing a testimony. Brother George, that's all it was. For God's glory. And we praised Him for it today. John chapter 15 verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask a few things. That's not what it says. You may ask only for the easy stuff. No. Anything you want and it will be granted. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. 
1 John 3, 22, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and we do the things that please him. What is he telling us over and over? He's saying, look to the God who is above it all, the all in all, over all, went in all, through all, made it all, can do it all. That's what we need to look at when you're in your problem. Don't see only the forest. You got to get above the forest so that you can see. So what do you do in the meantime? You got your eyes on him, you're, but you're in the trial, okay? When you look at Jesus, sometimes he says, okay, I'm going to walk you through this. We'd prefer, Lord, can I book a ticket and fly over this? Or can I like, you know, get an Uber and drive around it? He's going to take you through it. So what do you do in the meantime as he's, as he's walking you through the process? Whatever it might be. Well, it's the second thing. You, your faith begins to search for joy within your trial. Faith sees God above my trial, but my faith begins to search for joy in my trial. Let me just give you some assurance today, my friends. If you know Jesus, trials are working for you, not against you. That sounds so paradoxical. It sounds so out of out of reality, but it is so true. And here is the secret, the secret to joy at all times. The secret is this. You never let down here become bigger than up there. Never let your down here become bigger than up there. Because if you do, you will, you will lack joy. If it ever gets bigger down here than it is up there, you'll, you're going to lack joy. Let me explain that with just a story. I kind of like watching football in the fall. Not a lot of football. Um, just the teams that matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Or the players that matter. People have asked me, what team are you? Are you a Cowboys fan? What, who do you root for? I was like, I root for the winners. That's all it is. You know, I watch the game the last five minutes of the game, see who's ahead. Come on. Come on. Let's go. I'm a winner. Yeah. Start giving high fives to whoever wins. Come on. I'm just with the winners. I was watching football one Saturday morning, and I was watching. I started. I turned it on TV. I was, you know, kind of occupying time, and it was the 11 o'clock game. How do you understand that 11 a.m. football, those aren't the big games, okay? Those are... Those are usually mismatched games, and that's exactly what this was. It was, it, was, it was a game between Wisconsin and Michigan State. And some of you, you don't like football, you don't care, so you're going to miss out on this story, but I want you to catch this. I'm watching this game, and Wisconsin is getting pounded. I mean, like by the second half, they're getting beat like four or five touchdowns. I'm like, dear Lord. And you can see, and they're at home, and they're in Wisconsin, and so uh, they're getting beat by all these uh, points, and they come out in the third quarter, and, and the game starts and goes on. And all of a sudden, the Wisconsin stands start standing up and cheering, and they're clapping. And the announcers in the sound booth that was taking that you were hearing them on TV, they're like, uh, Herb, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. Um, it seems like the Wisconsin fans have, have found something to cheer about. We're going to have to find out and investigate. Let's send down to our field reporter and see if he can discover. Well, the field reporter says, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I'm going to go into the stands. He goes into the stands. He starts talking to people, finding out what's going on. Why are you guys standing up and cheering every, you know, two or three minutes? What's, what's going on here? What he discovered was that the same time that Wisconsin 
and Michigan State were playing this football game. A thousand miles away, there was a baseball game where the Milwaukee Brewers were playing in the Major League playoffs. And the guy that he interviewed, he said, Oh, man, I just turned my radio on. And the Brew Crew is ahead. We're winning. And then they were showing scores on the Jumbotron of the Bluer, of the Brewers playing, I think, the Phillies. And they showed them. And, man, they just, woohoo! Here's what I want you to see in that. In the middle of that beatdown that they were presently a part of, they had tuned into another game that they were winning in. They saw something that they were losing here, but over there, they're winning. It's the same way in our life. You have to find, you have to search for the joy in the middle of your trial. Because if the only time that you can be joyful is when everything is going right down here, then you've misplaced your joy. To find joy in the middle of a trial, you need to, as, Paul, as, as James says, consider it pure joy. You need to consider a few things. First, consider this. Consider, consider that Jesus has already been through it all. When you talk to the Lord, He knows exactly where you are. He knows that because He knows where you have been. He, is, he, is, he understands our infirmities. As Isaiah says, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him. He understands everything there is to understand. Every human emotion, every thought, Every challenge, every trial, every difficulty, He understands those things. And so consider that Jesus has already been through it, and that can give you joy. Lord Jesus, when I talk to you, I can talk to somebody that already knows. It's so comforting to talk to somebody who's been there and walked it before you. He's there. The second thing you might consider to have joy in the middle of your trial is you need to consider that it's part of the process of becoming more Christ-like. You know that no diamond is beautiful until it's cut. They dig diamonds out of the ground, they look like chunks of just clod, dirt, coal, whatever it is around it. No geologist, but I do know that. When they first come out of the ground, they dig a diamond up. It's not like the one you would find at Zales. Oh, look at this. Magnificent. No, they have to cut it. They have to polish it. They have to grind pieces off. No diamond comes out and, and turns out beautiful unless it's cut. It has to be cut. It has to be polished. That's exactly the same way in your Christian walk. You're not going to be beautiful until God cuts some things off of you. Ouch. The tragedy is, is too many people jump ship before that they, the Lord allows them to make them beautiful. Here's what we know. When you stop enduring, you stop maturing. Counselors say this. They say someone who, who um, as soon as someone forms a, a life-controlling issue, as soon as they begin to self-medicate with drugs or alcohol or, or pornography or whatever, at that moment that they develop this life-controlling issue, they cease to mature. Now, I want you to think about that. I know people who have developed those issues when they were 16 years old, and today they're 56. That means they're a 56-year-old man with an emotional capacity of a 16-year-old. Anybody met people like that? 
Yeah. Because when you stop enduring, you stop maturing. And so what we have to do is we have to allow ourselves to go through these trials so that we can become more Christ-like, so that we can grow, so that we can mature, as James says, to be complete, not lacking anything. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it's a unique scripture because it's, it sounds so bizarre. It doesn't even, it, it's, it's, it's hard to comprehend unless you really see what he says. What he says is that, is that God made the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. And you ask yourself, well, he's talking about Jesus there. Well, I thought Jesus was already perfect. Yes, he was. He was absolutely perfect. But what he does is it's not, it's not about, uh, it's, it's not just about knowledge. It's about experience. You see, it's one thing to stand there and you just say, you know what? The Bible says God rescues the godly from all trouble. But when you go through that trouble and God rescues you out of it, let me tell you something. It means a whole lot more. You don't just say, you know, I know God takes care of God heals. I know that God rescues. Then you say, I know that I know that I know because I've been there. He's made me Christ. I know God can restore marriages. I know that I know. The third reason you should consider in having joy is that it means you're about to graduate. No promotion precedes pain. Pain always precedes promotion. You guys know this. Some of you repeated that third year of high school for three years. It, it was painful. Best three years of your life. You know. Finally got out. Thank God. Pain precedes promotion. But let me tell you something. In your middle of the trial, all you have to start thinking, oh, man, I'm up for promotion in this. Come on, somebody. When you're facing it and you're getting hit one after another, and it just seems like the devil's dropping bombs on your yard all day long, every day, you are up for a promotion. And what God is moving you to is going to be better than you've ever experienced. You're going to a higher level of faith, a higher level of love, a higher level of joy, a higher level of goodness, a higher level of consciousness. In God, you are going to be promoted. That's what, that's what the joy should be about. Oh, God, I'm getting ready to be promoted. I'm moving up. Your season of life and some of you, I want you to know, and I speak to you right now, and I speak prophetically to some of you who are experiencing that trial right now in trouble. You are about to breakthrough into a season that will be much more fruitful than any previous season you've ever known. And I, I pray that you receive that word in your life because that's what the Scripture tells us. You should consider things like giving me an, giving, uh, going through a trial gives me an opportunity to minister to others. You should consider it joyful because you're storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal. It's yours. And God's holding it for you. So James says that this trial, in your trial, most of the time the peace that we're looking for in the midst of those troubles is joy. So today, if you're going through that trial, you're looking for that peace of joy. God has it. You just got to go to him for it. Let me move to my last point. When you can't seem to find your joy, you can't seem to find how to navigate the trouble and trial that you're in, 
what do you do? Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and he and it will be given to him. But when he asks, look at this, he must believe and not doubt. For the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Look at verse 7. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. We live in a world that's filled with knowledge, but there is a scarcity of wisdom. Knowledge is doubling every two years on this planet. That means that in 10 years, there will be five times more knowledge than you have today. But wisdom seems to be missing in this generation. Let me tell you what wisdom is. Here's a few ways that I've just written down to explain. Knowledge is knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing not what to do with it. Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Knowledge fills libraries. Wisdom fills lives. Knowledge is truthful. Wisdom is useful. Knowledge provides information. Wisdom provides transformation. Knowledge tells you what to believe. Wisdom tells you how to behave. Knowledge finds the problem, but wisdom finds the solution. Oh, wow, that's real. But here's the best that I could come up with. Knowledge is the ability to take things apart. Wisdom is the ability to put things back together. When I was a kid, I got in trouble several times because my dad came out into the garage and found our lawnmower in pieces. For some crazy reason, I got the idea that I was going to overhaul the lawnmower. And at nine years old, you really don't have the uh, technical training to do so. I got that thing pulled completely apart. My dad walks out in the garage. He's like, what meaneth this, son? I said, Dad, I'm rebuilding the lawnmower. And he said, son, you've got the smarts to take it apart but I hope you have the wisdom to put it back together. Knowledge can take things apart. It takes wisdom to put things back together. When you're in the middle of a trial, the wrong response, our knowledge says, well, we're going to worry about it. I'm going to fall into depression. I'm going to rebel. God, you let this happen to me. I'll show you. But wisdom says, Lord, I'm going to respond rightly and I'm going to ask you for it. That's what you do in the middle of your trial. Right now, if you're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what peace goes where. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. He's going to say, well, I don't know, man, what kind of person you are. I'm going to check these things off. And he will give it to you. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because a man who doubts... He's like a wave of the sea, just blown back 
forth. What it means is the man who doubts is a man who's filled with indecision. God, I know that you can do it, but I'm really not sure. God, I know what your report says, but here's what the doctor's report says, and I don't know which way to go. And you just look. What, what double-minded actually means is double-souled. It's the Greek word disukos. Split minds. Split souls. You can't receive anything from God when you're trying to say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. I'm going to read your word. But at the same time, I'm going to do, do what the world uh, expects me to do in the middle of this trial. I'm going to live like everything else. That's not what God's calling you to do. What you need to do is ask God. If you're in the middle of a trial, ask God. When I was in college... And I just encourage, I'm, I'm glad, you know, we're, we're about to send all of our kids back to school. Parents are like, praise the Lord. There is a God in heaven. Hallelujah. Delivered me from my trans, transgressions and all of my children, thank God. Went to college and went on to seminary. <laughs> I was asked one time about education because... I went to seminary and stuff. I said, well, you just need the Spirit. And I was asked about education. I said, I said, well, you know, honestly, there's no future in being dumb. And uh, they were like, oh, I agree. Um, I didn't want people, when I, when I got to the end of my life, say, what would you become in life? I said, well, I had a chance to be smarter, but I chose dumb. And I'm good at it, too. That's So I went and I said, Lord... I need you to pour into my life. I'm asking you, Lord, give me wisdom. Because I know in the years ahead, I'm going to have to deal with church people. And I don't know. They're going to ask me questions. Daniel, if you get ready to come. If our baptismal candidates will get ready to go. I sit down. I remember my first day in, at seminary. The class was understanding and or interpreting Hebrew. Anybody ever read Hebrew? You don't want to. I'm sitting there, and I walk into this class. I'm a smart guy, but when it comes to that stuff, I'm like, "Ah." I looked for the smartest dude. I tried to find him before the class started. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Hebrew, Hebrew Old Testament says, you know, there's a, don't say racha, you know what I mean? You're not saying, oh yeah, and he starts quoting this in Hebrew. I was like, I'm going to sit by you. I'd like to discuss some things. So I sit down next to him, the smartest guy in the class. And can I tell you that I looked on his paper more than once. You're a pastor. I wasn't then. I looked on his paper and I said, hey man, explain this to me. Let, me. let me know how to do that on my paper. And so I started looking at his paper so that I could find out what I should do on my paper. Let me tell you something. God says, pull up a chair and all you need to do is start looking on my paper. And my paper will inform your paper. And if you just watch what I'm doing, you can fill in all the blanks with my paper. That's what wisdom is. Ask God. He will give you generously. He will give you abundantly more than what you could ever imagine. And you don't doubt. You just say, Lord, I know that through your word 
And through prayer and communication, you're going to bring to me everything that I need to make it through the trial. Because what faith does, faith asks for wisdom through the trial. Faith looks at God above, searches for joy within, and it asks for wisdom through it. That's your trial. And your faith will grow through it. I want to pray right now. We're going to baptize a couple of people real quick and celebrate with them. But I want to pray. If everybody would just bow your heads real quickly. Some of you I know are facing trouble, trial. You're walking through a season of, of illness or financial hardship. Can I tell you that Jesus is there with you? So hang on. Start thinking of it as not a problem for you, but as a benefit for you because God is going to bring you through on the other side with a promotion. God has great plans in store for your life if you'll continue to just let him cut away that old carbon stuff of the diamond and shape you into the beauty that he knows that you can be. You're having trouble in your marriage, I want you to know. He's there above it. You can have joy through it. And you desperately need to ask for wisdom in the, in the middle of it. And he will. He'll give you that wisdom. He'll, know, he'll tell you what to say, what you need to do, how you need to respond to him or to her. If you're going through those moments of, of, of difficulty in, in your life, your trials, the Lord is shaping you. Consider it joy. Because that problem is for your benefit, not for your harm. Let me pray for all of you. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this moment that we've had together, Lord, to just share in your blessing, Lord, to feast upon your word. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to hearts today. I pray that, God, that every difficulty, Lord, that each person in this life is dealing with, Lord, I know that everybody has something going on. That, Lord, you would show yourself faithful. We would have faith in your faithfulness and your promise that you will deliver us from all harm and all evil. And you will lead us into a way of everlasting. I pray for those, Lord, who are seriously struggling right now. I pray for those who are struggling financially in the name of the Lord. I pray that, Lord, out of nowhere, Lord, your provision would begin to come to their life and to their family in the name of Jesus. Provide in miraculous ways, just as you did this week with, with Brother George. I pray that you'd continue to do so, Lord. Pray for those who need healing, Lord. Let them walk every step, Lord, walking in faith, walking in their healing that you have already provided. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of our trials because you're turning them into a triumph. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.